0: Welcome. To our GSP Ace of the Day segment presented by DraftKings. As always, what's the fun of having all of this knowledge about tennis if you're not ready to put that knowledge to the test? And you can do exactly that with our friends at the DraftKings Sportsbook, who we at Crack Records are so happy to have back supporting this show. All you have to do, go to DraftKings today, they'll have everything you're looking for, from the money lines to the game spreads, the futures bets as well not just for the U.S. Open, by the way. You want to test your knowledge on the challenger level, test your knowledge on the ITF level. You can find it all on the DraftKings Sportsbook to get in on the action today. Go there, use our promo code AOD, and place a $1 bet. If you do that, you'll get $100 in free bets to play with however you'd like, whether that be for the U.S. Open, whether that be for various other tennis or sporting events, DraftKings, has you covered. Again, turn to the DraftKings Sportsbook, place a $1 bet using our promo code AOD, get $100 in free bets. So glad to have DraftKings back on board on this show. The least you can do to show your appreciation if you plan on putting your knowledge to the test. Use our friends at the DraftKings Sportsbook. Of course, you're going to have to test that knowledge if you're making predictions down the home stretch of this 2022 U.S. Open. Monday's matches are going to get... Tight. And when you look at day eight schedule, according to the tennis abstract singles forecast, according to the DraftKings Sportsbook as well, you have a bunch of narrow, tightly contested matches anticipated on the day. In particular, on the women's side, three of the four matches, the players are no more than a 57.8% favorite to win the match. And if you are a subscriber to that tennis abstract singles forecast, you 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 know, any match where the favorite is less than a 60% favorite, that means Tennis Abstract anticipates the match to be a toss-up. You look at the money lines presented by our friends at DraftKings. Three of tomorrow's four favorites, no higher than a minus 150 favorite in the match. So, tightly contested. You're going to have to trust your gut. You're going to have to trust your eyes. Obviously, we'll try to use our numbers or our knowledge of the numbers, I should say, to supplement what we're seeing as well. But boy, it's tough sledding on the men's and women's side. And with that thinking in mind, what I tried to do today is find some winners amongst the board. I believe I've got two for you here on day eight of this Ace of the Day segment. Want to run through those two aces of the day, run through the... The matchups I see run through my logic, whether it be from a numbers perspective, whether it be from an eye test perspective as well. Make the case for my two aces, then run you through the rest of the day's eight matches. With that in mind, let's get into it. GSP Ace of the Day segment for day number eight of the 2022 U.S. Open. Let's start with another single match bet, but rather than a game spread, we're rolling with a money line. I mention the fact again a lot of these matches especially on the women's side minus 150 odds or favorite or better excuse me for the favorite to simply have to win the match and of the matchups that are tightly contested Jessica Pagula a minus 125 favorite over Petra Kvitova Pagula has been the more solid player Kvitova brings the bigger weapons to the court that one's a tough one to pick. You look at Victoria Azarenka versus Carolina Pliskova. Neither has been particularly excellent this season. Vika's been a little bit more consistent at the slams. Obviously, Pliskova injured to start the year. She's probably been the better player of late, and certainly she's been tested more rigorously through this U.S. Open than Victoria Azarenka. That match actually started at minus 110 odds apiece. It's now Victoria Azarenka minus 120 odds, to capture. The match. So again, Power tennis in that one. Pliskova has the sort of weapons, her serve, her forehand, her backhand as well, to hit Azarenka off of her spots. Azarenka, you could say the same thing about in regards to how her game will affect Pliskova. You feel like whoever serves better might honestly just have the advantage on the given day. It's a 4-4 to career head-to-head between the two. Again, I'm sort of getting into the board of matches already because it was tough pickings in terms of finding or extracting value and again you're going to have to go with your gut on this day my gut tells me that arena sabalenka is going to knock off Danielle Collins tomorrow and you look for Arena Sabalenka she's a minus 150 favorite against Danielle Collins according to oddsmakers now she's a 43.8% underdog according to tennis abstract of course the big number looking at this match is the head to head between these two players not only is Arena Sabalenka 3-0 against Danielle Collins. Two of her three victories came at the U.S. Open, whether it was in last year's third round where Sabalenka beat Collins 3-3. First round back in 2018, Sabalenka beat Collins in three sets. She also has a win over Collins in Wuhan back in 2019. That match, a 6-1-6 love victory for Arena Sabalenka. Looking at the stats from those matches Sabalenka had success even when not serving her best match and you go back to that 2018 match which was a lifetime ago for both players Sabalenka made just 43% of her first serve she had 10 plus double faults on the match and yet she was still able to get through that whether you look at last year's battle between them Sabalenka eight double faults in the match now she did You know, she went unbroken throughout the course of the match, saved all three break points that she faced and won 80% of her first serve points, 79.4 to be exact. I just think the power tennis that Sabalenka plays disrupts Collins from a matchup perspective. And look, Danielle Collins, emphasis on the yell, was exceptional yesterday in her straight-set victory to advance to round number four over Alize Cornet Collins, a 6-4, 7-6 victory. She was not broken throughout the course of the match and hit, like, 52 winners against 28 unforced errors. It may not be that exact ratio, but she was north of 50 and south of 35—north of 50 from a winner perspective, south of 35 from an unforced error perspective, and she was just swinging at will. The backhand, in particular, was firing— Cross court, down the line. Her effectiveness with that backhand as a plus one ball is what allowed her to make the finals of the Australian Open earlier this season. And we know what Danielle Collins is capable of when she's playing her best tennis. Now, of course, Danielle Collins only played two matches between the end of the French Open and the start of the U.S. Open. In both of those matches, a first round loss to Buzkova at Wimbledon, a first round loss to Walter, the wild card in Lausanne, and yet... Look at her three wins this week. Straight sets over Osaka. Straight sets over Buxa. Straight sets over Alize Cornet. She's beaten who she's supposed to beat. She's executing well enough behind the plus one ball that there's no doubt Danielle Collins is going to keep this match close. And Arena Sabalenka, to her credit, has also played well. In the run-up to this fourth round, Sabalenka dominant in an 0-2 victory over Clara Burel, of course, escaped a 6-2-5-1 deficit in round number two to beat Kaya Kanepi and, of course, can't oversell the importance of that victory from a confidence perspective. Not only has Sabalenka, of course, struggled in the past in early rounds of slams, but Kanepi, of course, beat her in the round of 16 in Australia earlier this season. And Sabalenka gets over the hump in that match, follows it up so well, doesn't double fault in the first set against Burel in round number three and looked dominant behind the first serve and, as such, got more confident as a returner, was taking returns inside the baseline, just imposing her will, moving extraordinarily well as well. Again, it's strength on strength, power versus power in this match, and I do think the fact that Sabalenka is 3-0, and yes, of course, Collins comes in hungry. You feel like eventually she does have the sort of power tennis that on an off day, she's more than capable of beating an arena Sabalenka, but A, Sabalenka a little bit more match tough at this point of the year, B, Sabalenka's power, I think, is just a level above Danielle Collins, and they're both top two in terms of the tiers, in terms of power tennis they're able to play, but Sabalenka able to play, in my opinion, that transcendent sort of power tennis. Danielle Collins' tennis, while extraordinarily impressive and elite power tennis, is not transcendent, in my opinion, in the way that entirety of Sabalenka's is from the serve all the way down and I do think because Sabalenka hits the first serve so big you know in a way Alizé Cornet could not Collins just isn't going to have as much time to swing freely from the baseline as she did when she looked so good in set number uh excuse me in her third round match against Cornet I also just, again, think Sabalenka to get over that deficit in round number two. You look for Arena Sabalenka. She's quietly been really good at the slams over the course of the past two years. You look for her last season, obviously, semifinals, U.S. Open, semifinals, Wimbledon, fourth round in Australia, a third round exit in three sets, the eventual finalist, Pavla by the way, last year... All four of Arena Sabalenka's losses at the Slams came in three sets. You look for her this year: a three-set loss, seven-six in the third to Kaia Kanepi in Australia; a uh, three-set loss to Camilla Georgie, albeit a disappointing third-round exit for her at Roland Garros. Now she's into the fourth round here at the U.S. Open in an era of inconsistency. Again. Sabalenka probably only trails Svantec in terms of most second-week appearances since the start of last season at the Slam. I'll be sure to look that up in our post-mortem of this 2022 U.S. Open, but I'm kind of in. On Arena Sabalenka, and how well she's played this year when, you know, d- despite the fact that she has 100 more double faults than the player with the second most double faults this season, and I think I mentioned this yesterday, the cap gap between her and number two is the same as the gap between two and 26 in terms of total double faults on the season. And yet, despite all of that, Sabalenka, 27-17 and 17 on the year. Since the end of the clay court season, she finaled in the Netherlands, semi-finaled in Cincinnati, now fourth round here at the U.S. Open. You know, even the losses, th- 7-6 in the third to Goff, 6-1 in the third to Garcia, 6-4 in the third to Kudermatova. Aryna Sabalenka steals a set. She keeps matches close. And if you're asking me from a value perspective, you probably do love the fight of Danielle Collins. She, if you respect how well she's playing, you want to take the match to go three sets because Collins is playing well and Sabalenka is Sabalenka. Plus 125 odds at the over two and a half sets. I can't knock you on that, but I just think the power tennis of Arena Sabalenka disrupts the rhythm of Danielle Collins, and Arena Sabalenka is going to Arena Sabalenka. It doesn't really matter what her opponent's doing. And I've always thought power opponents bring out the best in Sabalenka because it forces her to be so focused on the first shot because that first shot has that much more importance against a power tennis player. I think Sabalenka has the better serve. I think she's served well so far in New York. And of course, the moment you say that, be prepared to get burned. From a value perspective, over two and a half sets plus 125 is interesting. You can also take Sabalenka minus one and a half games at minus 115. But if you think at Arena Sabalenka is ever going to win, just take her money line. And at minus 115, yeah, you're laying a little juice. But I'm I'm back in Arena Sabalenka. And she may play an ugly set somewhere because for every 20 minutes where she looks like the best player in the world, there are 10 to 15 where she looks like the worst But I'm going to back Arena Sabalenka to get the job done for a fourth time against Danielle Collins. I just like the matchup. Sabalenka, minus 150, money line, just need her to win the match. We'll lay the full 1.5 units on it to win one in return. That is ace of the day number one. Of course, what would this segment be without a parlay for all of you listeners? I've got one on day number eight. It's a next-gen ATP 2. 0. 0 parlay, And I'm going to make a wager that the tennis gods are going to deliver us the Carlos Alcarazionic Center U.S. Open quarterfinal we deserve. Let's start with the Sin Man, who is quietly putting together, I don't want to say a breakout campaign because he's already broken out, but he's putting together that sort of, in transcendence the wrong word, but that sort of defining season early in a player's career God, there's this Batman Beyond joke I want to make about the word defining and how I say it and how the Joker, played by Mark Hamill, who of course is excellent as the Joker, de- talks about a defining element of tragedies. Shout out to Batman Beyond Return of the Joker. If any listener gets that reference, please tweet at me, at A.L. Gruskin. Anyways, sorry, my nerd is showing. You look for Ionic Sinner. This is one of those defining seasons that, dare I say— The Djokovic's, the Rafa's, the Federer's, the Murray's, the Del Potro's, they have this on their way to becoming that definitive Grand Slam champion winning top five player on the ATP tour. You look for Yannick Sinner, and I don't say that lightly, he's 41 and 11 overall on the year. It's been a quiet 41 and 11, and you look for Sinner, the big title for him coming in Umai, his only title, his only final of the year. But Sinner's just been cleaning up on who he's supposed to clean up against. And you look for Dionic Center in that forty-one and eleven campaign, which by the way is a seventy-nine percent win rate, he's thirty-seven and three against opponents ranked outside the top fifty this season. Thirty-seven and three, excuse me, against opponents ranked outside the top twenty this season. And you look at the context of his three losses, lost to Cranio Busta in Canada. Okay, Cranio Busta now inside the top twenty. And by the way, he also won the event in Canada. He loses to Tommy Paul in three sets in Eastbourne. Well, Yannick Sinner has played fewer than 10 grass court matches in his career entering the year. And by the way, he follows up that loss to Tommy Paul by making the quarterfinals of freaking Wimbledon and, you know, playing Novak Djokovic extraordinarily tough in their match. Um, And then, of course, he made the quarterfinals of the Australian Open earlier this season. But his other non-top 50 uh, top 20 loss, excuse me, to Francisco Cerundolo in Miami, a match he's forced to retire out of in the first set. The point being, Yannick Sinner beats who he's supposed to beat. Now, if you want to quibble with that and say, but he's three and seven against top 10 opponents and four and eight against the top 20, it's a fair counter. I would point out to you a couple of things, though. A, beating who you're supposed to beat, as we say so frequently here, is half the battle. And you look for Yannick center this season. Overall, he continues to improve the things he needs to improve on. And I mentioned this on yesterday's mini break and breaking down his four-set third-round victory over Brandon Nakashima. It was his effectiveness on serve and his willingness and effectiveness moving forward that were the difference in that Nakashima match. And you look for Yannick, who's Hold percentage has improved over his first four seasons on the ATP tour, and each of them he's gone from 77.2 back in 2019 to 84.5. That 84.5 number ranks 19th amongst top 50 players. Of course, even on the Challenger tour, you could see the return skills right away for Yannick Sinner, and those return skills have translated to the highest level. He breaks serve 25.5% on the season, and even against top 20 and top 10 players, his break percentage, 22.1%. That's you know just outside the average, which is 23% of a top 50 player. Yannick Sinner's return skills, his physicality, his willingness, and improved effectiveness at the net, they all continue to get better against lesser competition. Now, of course, having those skills stand up against the best of the best, that's the final step for Yannick Sinner to take. And when he takes that step, he will be a top five player in the world. He will be competing in Grand Slam finals. As I mentioned, he's already made a couple of quarterfinals this year at the Slams and obviously has made a Masters 1000 final in his career, does have a couple of victories now over Carlos Alcaraz this season and, you know, has beaten guys like Rublev and Rude and Zverev and Tsitsipas already in his career. And those are his peers over the next decade, even regardless of a Novak Djokovic or a Rafa the Nadal, those are the guys he has to beat to be the guy on the ATP tour, and while that's a separate question. 37 and 3 against opponents ranked outside the top 20 this year speaks for itself. And against those opponents, again, he holds 87.3% of the time. That would be a top 10 number. He breaks 27% of the time. That would be a top 15 number. He faces a non-top 20 opponent tomorrow in Ilya Ivashka. Now, Ilya Ivashka's got some weapons. Six foot four, twenty-seven, uh, excuse me, twenty-eight years old, you know, already has taken out Hoopy Herkotz and Lorenzo Musetti. Each in four sets just to reach this fourth round at a major and you look for Ilya Ivashka now in his career at the grand slams it's his second round of 16 at the majors second in the past two seasons for him first at the US Open obviously this is a definitive run for Ivashka in terms of the perspective of his career but You look for Ilya Vashka, the the guys he's faced, obviously an inconsistent Sam Query in round number one. He faces, you know, a Hubi Hercats in round number two whose first serve forehands are legitimate weapons. But if you can get him... Uh, first serve and first forehand, excuse me, but if you can get him at neutral in the rally or get some pace into his ball, you know, Hubi Hurkacz will play six feet behind the baseline, give you time by throwing slices at you, and you just can't do that against Ilya Vashka because he's got those big back swings and he's going to get after his ground strokes and hit the big first serve. Again, Lorenzo Musetti, same deal. He wants to hit the slice. He wants to run around, be an athlete, and Ivashka's is going to make you pay if you give him enough chances, give him enough floaters. Yannick Sinner doesn't give floaters. Yannick Sinner hits with elite pace, elite depth on his ground strokes, both wings from the baseline, and that pace is relentless, and I just think he's the first player who plays with a relentless pace and a consistent pace from the baseline That Iwaska is just not going to have the opportunities that he's had in his three prior matches. Now, of course, you look for Sinner. He's an 82.7% favorite on Tennis Abstract. That's, you know, even more comfortable than his minus 380 money line, according to our friends at DraftKings. Minus 380 is a little rich, obviously. Now, in a vacuum, if he was the other leg to a parlay, minus 380 is in the parlay zone. But I was so impressed by Yannick Sinner who... You know, goes down a set in 4 3 to Brandon Nakashima, 6 4, 6 1, 6 2. He closes out the match. He just hit another level last night. I think he sees the draw open for him. Obviously, you face an unseated player in Ivashka. That's a massive opportunity. Ivashka's played 12 sets of tennis through three matches. Give me the sin man to win. And rather than take his money line, I am feeling that confident in Sinner in the matchup. We're going to take him minus four and a half games over Ilya Ivashka. Now, for what it's worth, if you think it's going to be a tightly contested four-set match over 35 and a half games, minus 135, that's not the worst hedge in this instance. But let's take Sinner on the game spread, knock that 380 money line down to a minus 145 game spread line. That's leg number one of the parlay. Leg number two is the aforementioned Carlos. Alcaraz who was just brilliant in a straight set victory over Marin Chile uh, excuse me over Jensen Brooksby in round number 3 Brooksby couldn't hurt Alcaraz and Alcaraz showed the sort of patience the sort of discipline those words mean the same thing Alex the sort of firepower though and relentlessness you just need to have in not offering an opening to Jensen Brooksby. And even when Brooks, Brooksby goes up an early break in set number three, Carlito didn't throw the set away. Carlito locked in, reined in his forehand, waited an extra ball before hitting the approach shot or hitting the drop shot. I think we're all all in on Carlos Alvarez And I mentioned the 41-11 and 11 record for Sinner. Alcaraz is 47-9. and nine. Tour leader in victories, he's winning 84% of his matches against opponents ranked outside the top 10 this year. He's 39 and five. His losses are Corda, Sinner, Musetti, Paul, Nori. and you know the amazing thing for Carlos Alcaraz is he got a set in all of those matches. No one beats Carlos Alcaraz in straights. Uh, he's also two and one in his career and won the two lat- uh, last two matches against his fourth-round opponent. That opponent is Marin Cilic. Now, of course, Cilic, the 2014 U.S. Open champion, has been really good both at the majors and overall this season. You look for Chillich now in 2022. He's 28-15 and 15 overall in the year. Round of 16 in Canada, round of 16 in Cincinnati. He earned a couple of wins in both of those events. Obviously, semi-finaled Roland Garros and quietly reached the fourth round of the Australian Open. And obviously, COVID kept him out of the 2022 Wimbledon, but he was a top five contender coming off of his semi-final at the French Open and his pedigree of success on the grass courts. And... He was really good in a four-set victory over Dan Evans. Ruthlessly efficient. Didn't let the physicality of Evans wear him down. Now, the thing is, again, Carlitos is a whole nother level. And with all due respect to Dan Evans, there's a little more juice on that Carlito rally ball. You got to get stretched a little bit further in the outer third when Carlito hits that inside-out forehand. When he hits the drop shot, Schilich is going to have to move that much more effectively forward into the court. That said— Marin Cilic has weapons to make anyone uncomfortable. And at this point of his career, there's kind of a mentality of, look, I'm going to go for it. And I may lose, but I'm going down swinging because what do I have to lose at this point of his career? And you got to respect that out of Cilic, who's holding serve 85% of the time. That's above his career average and a top 15 number on the ATP tour. He's Breaking serve 21.7% of the time, which is outside the top 50, but right around his career average. He's still pretty rock solid at the tail end of his prime, I would say, not coasting towards the end of his career. He does, does he? does. Has he lost a step? Yes, but he's also that much, you know, 10% more aggressive and that much more probably effective with his aggression as well. I think Chillich can keep this match close. That's why I don't like the game spread. You can get Alcaraz minus four and a half games over Chillich for minus 155 as well. That's better than his minus 450 money line. But... I'm more afraid of the Chilich serve in plus one forehand than I am the Avashka serve in plus one forehand. So with that center money line, uh, center game spread, we're gonna parlay the Alcaraz money line. Now Alcaraz just has to beat Chilich tomorrow, and again minus four fifty to do so, according to the tennis abstract formula, he's an eighty one point eight percent favorite. I'm going to take Alcaraz to knock off Chilich, And again, if you want to hedge over 36 and a half games in Alcaraz, Chilich is minus 120. But Carlita was in his top form against Brooksby. And that top form is borderline unplayable at times. And so give me Alcaraz parlayed with Sinner. Again, the Alcaraz money line, the Sinner game spread. You get plus 106 odds when you do that. We're going to take that, throw a unit on it to win 1.06 in return. We're going all in, folks on these wagers down the home stretch of week number 2 we are going to end up back even that is my promise to all of you listeners with that said those are my two aces on the day let's run through the other 5 matches though we have and i already mentioned some of the numbers on the women's side you look at the odds Jess pagula -125 against petra kovitova they've never played before in their career now pagula's third in the points race this season she's made i think six uh, seven quarterfinals this would be her eighth quarterfinal of the year and where she's made those quarterfinals the French Open and you know Toronto Cincinnati Jess Pagula has showed up to all the big events beat beaten three unseeded players dropping just one set on her way to this fourth round but you look for Jess Pagula on the season 34 and 16 overall on the year against top 20 players she's 5 and 8 uh, you know again she has gone to big results in Madrid, in Miami, and then she runs beating who she's supposed to beat. But you know, when she runs up to these higher upside power tennis players, sometimes they can give her trouble. And certainly Petra Kvitova is a high upside power tennis player. The lefties played some of her best tennis of late. She gets to the final of Cincinnati. She reach, you know, from 5-3 down, Manages to come back 7-6 in the third victory over Garbine Muguruza in round number three. She's uh, – since winning the Eastbourne title the week before Wimbledon, I believe she's something like 15-3 and three overall over the course of her last, what, five events, which – Guess what that's pretty damn good. And we know Petra Kvitova's ceiling is Grand Slam champion. She's already won a couple of them in her career. Her lefty power, she'll be comfortable in her left, you know, she'll take away the the advantages of the Pagula backhand because she'll be able to play her at least even going forehand to backhand there and, you know, Kvitova will keep Pagula honest with the forehand down the line in the same ways Pagula will keep Kvitova honest with her backhand down the line. Backhand to forehand's a tough matchup. You know, I think there's a lot of similarities between these two players game. Both of them drive the ball with depth. Obviously, you give the advantage to Petra as a server. You give the advantage to Pagula as a returner. Both pretty comfortable moving forward. I actually might give the slightest of edges to Jess Pagula, but I need to see Jess Pagula win one of these matches before I can unequivocally back her again five and eight against the top twenty this season, which is fine. But that's the next step. You know, that's why she's tier two right now. She's, dare I say, the Matteo Berrettini of the women's game in this moment If you're a better, bet Petra Kvitova the plus 105 money line. Hope she wins the opening set. Pagula then becomes an underdog. You bet Pagula. You have plus money on both. You kick your feet up. You enjoy the match. This is a stay away for me though, unless you're taking the over two and a half sets, which is plus 135 overall for the match. Uh, Your other matches on the day, uh, obviously. Iga Svantec, minus 700 against Julia Nehemiah Niemeyer. Look, nehemiah has got some power that she can play with, and both of them hit heavy forehands, but both of them have extreme grips, and to see how the pace of each of them impacts the forehands of both of them, I'm interested by this matchup. Iga hasn't played her best. She, the serve's been a bit erratic. The forehand's still spraying on her. Nehemiah just goes for it, and Nehemiah will not be intimidated by the Tech backhand. Now, Iga's backhand is better, but Nehemiah's backhand is damn good. Iga's the better mover of the two. I give her the slight edge as a server as well. Again, Iga's—obviously, she's world number one. She's going to be a little bit better than Nehemiah, but don't sleep on the 23-year-old from Germany. I think this match is closer than the experts predict— Maybe you sneak the over two and a half sets at plus 235 just because that's pretty good value, but obviously I would lean Iga, who at this point and from the start was my pick to make the finals, but is now my pick to win the event. And then, again, Pliskova-Azarenka, 4-4 career head-to-head, power tennis at its finest. (sighs) Pliskova plus 100, Vika minus 120. Again, according to Tennis Abstract, by the way, Iga a 95.3% favorite, Kvitova 53.1% favorite over Pagula, Sabal- uh, Collins a 56.2% favorite over Sabalenka, Pliskova 578 over Azarenka, he, Vika, played really well in her third round match. This match goes three sets. I take the over in it, which is plus 140 over two and a half sets. Aline Vika, just because Pliskova escaped in three sets already twice this tournament, and to do it three times would be a, a real Houdini trick. Voila. But I'm, yeah, I'm going to lean Vika, but I don't feel great about that. Again, I would stay away from that match more than anything else. On the men's side, your two other matches on the day uh, Rafa versus Tiafo. That match is really good. Like, Rafa's minus 550. Obviously, the forecast is going to prefer Rafael Nadal in this match, and you look for Rafa in this one. He is a 79.9% favorite. Francis has reached the fourth round of the U.S. Open the past three years. He's never gotten to the quarterfinals. Tough loss to Medvedev a couple of years ago. You know, no shame in that defeat. Look, Francis has the backhand. And the athleticism to at least hang with Rafa, to at least track down some of those cross-court forehands, and then has the sort of quickness to make some on-the-run forehand magic happen. He'll get the crowd engaged in this match. He'll put Rafa under pressure by trying to find ways to incorporate the slice and move forward to the net just to force Rafa to come up with excellence obviously the forehand's an issue and that inside out Rafa forehand to the the Francis Tiafo forehand the kick serve into the Francis forehand I actually really like Francis's backhand return in this matchup I don't think that's where Rafa's gonna attack it's gonna be interesting because the Tiafo backhand does take away some of Rafa's patterns and again Rafa hasn't served that great and Tiafo's returned really well go watch the tape against Schwartzmann to prove as much I think Rafa wins I think it's four match, uh, four sets. I take the over thirty-five and a half games, and uh, which is minus one fifteen. But you know, I'd stay away. You know, maybe even the Tiafoe plus six and a half games at minus one twenty. I think he keeps this closer than the experts predict. But ultimately, how can you bet against Rafa, who now is into the second week of a slam, and we've seen what that has meant throughout the course of this season. Your final matchup is another tough one Nori versus Rublev according to tennis abstract Nori a 53.9% favorite you look for these two players in the career head to head it's a 1-1 split Nori got him in three sets in San Diego last year Rublev a straight set victory 2020 indoors in St Petersburg Nori's had the easier track you know he didn't just play a five set 4 hour thriller in the round prior and Look, the lefty Nori is going to get Rublev stretched on that backhand wing. He'll he'll then not be uncomfortable attacking the Rublev forehand, forcing Rublev to have to hit that ball on the run. You know, Cam does a really good job of mixing up his spots on the serve, jamming you body, getting you stretched to the backhand before sneaking one to your forehand side. Cam's comfortable moving forward when the opportunity presents itself. He's just so sound physically. Yes, Rublev's forehand's the biggest weapon. When he's landing his first serve, I mean the plus-one tennis he played against Shapovalov was dominant at times, and he did just play a lefty, which I think always helps. If you get him back-to-back, you're just accustomed to that spin, accustomed to that read, accustomed to having to lean certain directions you don't usually do when you're playing a right-handed player. I mean, I take the over, again, over 37.5 games, minus 135 in this matchup. According, I mentioned the percentages already, but according to our friends at DraftKings, Nori, a minus 160 favorite. Wow, that line has moved. He was minus 140 earlier today. Now he's at minus 160. That's notable. I would lean Nori, but man, I don't feel great about it. And looking at all the matchups on the day, I mean it a, a lot of good ones and certainly that would be one i just i think i'm going to kick my feet up and enjoy as a fan but with that said That is your look at day number eight of the 2022 U.S. Open. Of course, we will be back to recap it all on the mini break podcast on Monday night. And if you've missed anything that happened at this year's final slam, you can hear all about it over on the mini break podcast feed as we've recapped every episode of the tournament to date. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff for the (laughs) editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible, a shout out as well to our friends at DraftKings. Remember, use that promo code AOD bet one dollar to get 100 in free bets. With that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at DraftKings, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, may the odds be ever in your favor. Good luck, everyone.